And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Mark chapter 5. We'll begin in verse 21 in just a moment. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark. I have the privilege of being one of the uh, ministers here, and we're glad you're with us. Uh, Behind me is a depiction. It's an artistic rendering of a lifeline or timeline of Jesus' life. And if you've been with us since last November when we began this series called The Gospel, The Story of Jesus, The Good News, uh, you'll remember that we began with the arrival, started very high in heaven, in the presence and glory of God, the Trinity existing together in unity. And then we went to the period of obscurity, where he came in the incarnation, where he became a baby and was raised by this couple, Joseph and Mary. How he lived a quiet life being raised up and receiving the call of God in his life and pursuing that with his full passion. Then we went to the period of recognition. So he went from the heights way down to the unknown, began to climb in the eyes of men, began to be understood, crowds began to gather. And then a few months ago or so, six, six, eight weeks ago, we entered into a period, the fourth uh, stage in this five-stage life of Jesus is the revolution where he began to take the crowds that were coming to him and reveal to them the revolution that he was bringing and planting a new kingdom in this world. A kingdom by which God is the king over all things and restoring that glory of God uh, through his life. As we're in this particular passage in Mark chapter 5, for the past few weeks we've seen what's happened is Jesus would, he got into a boat on a beach and using the natural acoustics of the water, He began to teach about his kingdom, telling these word picture stories, these parables, talking about the value of the kingdom, the purpose of the kingdom, the impact of the kingdom. And then he laid before them the call of the kingdom, and it was a big call, a dramatic call, an expectation. And three men in the crowd uh, called out to him and said, we want to follow you. And Jesus said, make sure you do before you say you do. Live it out. Choose to follow me because there's no half-hearted disciples. There's no part-time discipleship. You're either committed to who Jesus is or you don't understand him. Jesus gets in the boat and he goes across and he's exhausted from the day of teaching and he falls sound asleep, like hard, hard, drool on your pillow sleep. He's asleep in the front of the boat and a great storm comes up so much that experienced fishermen begin to panic. And they awaken him, asking him in their fear, they ask him, do you not care about us? And Jesus gets up, calms the storm immediately. The waters that were rocking and rolling are calm completely. And Michael taught us from that story that if you get the understanding of how to fear Jesus, you won't fear anything else because you'll realize the power he has over everything. They get to the other side and a man comes out of tombs living where dead people are supposed to live and he's possessed by a demon and Jesus casts the demon out of that man and the demons go into this herd of pigs and drown themselves in the water and the crowd is so scared that they asked Jesus to leave. He just healed a man. But they lost all their money in the hogs and they're they're scared of the power of this guy and they ask him to leave. The disciples get back in a boat and this is where we join Jesus today. He's gonna encounter two people that are suffering. Just like the demon-possessed man was suffering, he comes back to the other side where the crowd is gathered and he's gonna come across two people who are suffering. If we pay attention, we're gonna be able to talk about something important and here's what I want us to talk about today. What do you and I do when what we really desire to happen is not what God desires to happen? What happens when we really desire God to move in a certain way in our life 
And God chooses not to move in that way. What does it mean? How are we supposed to respond? Because today we're going to meet two people who Jesus didn't do exactly what they wanted him to do in a certain degree or what they expected him to do. And what are we supposed to do? I want to give you three points of theology, three biblical truths to hold on to today as we walk through this. The first is this. Our faith in Jesus is an answer to our every fear. This is what we've been learning now for the third week through this passage in Mark 4 and 5 and the section of Matthew 13. And today we're even going to jump into Luke chapter 8 is another parallel passage where Luke records this same incident. Let's begin in verse 21 about how Jesus, faith in Jesus is an answer to every fear. When Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. Keep, keep your Bibles open. This passage of scripture has more detail than time will allow us to process, but I want, you to, I want to highlight it with you, and I want you to understand what's just taken place. You might have been with us a few weeks ago when we talked about this, what a synagogue ruler was. There was a temple in Jerusalem where the high priest served, but every local community, following their Babylonian captivity, when they came back into the land, they established these things called synagogues, meeting houses. And they would meet and read the scriptures, the prophets, the Old Testament, and they would talk about them. And they would do this regularly. And a synagogue leader was someone appointed, didn't have any authority except what the local community gave them. And these synagogue rulers had authority. They could allow a teacher to teach, they could correct the teacher, and they could keep people from worshiping in the synagogues. So this man had power. You might remember that Jesus went into a synagogue and he healed somebody. And the synagogue rulers cast him out and no longer allowed him to teach because he practiced a healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus said the man... Was man made for the Sabbath or Sabbath made for the man? And we know the answer to that. Jesus was saying, you've turned a law to be more powerful than the soul. And so here's what happens. A man named Jairus, who I believe had probably seen Jesus because he knew who Jesus was enough to come to him when he's hurting. But this was a synagogue ruler who would have cast Jesus out of his synagogue, but now instead of being a person of power, he's just a hurting dad. He's suffering. His 12-year-old girl, his sixth-grade daughter, is dying. And knowing what Jesus is capable of, this father walks away. He had, a, he had a greater reason to stay where he was, or he had a great reason to stay where he was. He had a greater reason to leave it all and come to Jesus. This man who would have opposed Jesus not only comes to see him asking for help, but do you notice what Mark said he did? He fell down in a position of humility in front of Jesus. Where in the eyes of the people, he had more authority than Jesus. He forsakes all that authority. He loses his place and he falls on his knees. Why? Because he stops being a proud man because he's a desperate man. And to be honest with you, that might be the most important sermon I preach to some of us today. It's time to stop being a proud person and realize what a desperate person you truly are without Jesus. And what do we do when that happens? We fall on our knees before him. Now Jesus could have said to this man, he could have said, hey, it's too late. I've been in your synagogue before and you had nothing to do with me. You know what I was capable of and now that you have a need, now that you're desperate, you need me, go. Jesus could have done that and we all would have gone, fair enough. But do you notice that Jesus isn't cruel? 
He's kind, he's good. What does Jesus do? When the man falls and says, my daughter, she's suffering and I'm suffering because my daughter's suffering, Jesus, with a heart of compassion, immediately goes with him. Now, I use this expression all the time, and some of you may think when I use the personal pronoun my that I'm owning him, but doesn't that sound like our Jesus? There's so many times I read the Bible, I go, that sounds like the guy I'm trying to follow. Sounds exactly like him. Even in his worst moments, his compassion is incredible. What I mean worst moments is when he doesn't do what I want him to. His compassion is phenomenal. This man comes and he falls, and he's scared. You see, when Jesus comes, if we place faith in him, he will remove our fears, every single one of them. So Jesus has the man get up, and they begin to walk together. Two men that never walked together are now walking together, and they're returning to this man's home to heal his daughter. And then the second biblical truth comes out of the story. Our faith in Jesus is an answer for those in shame and isolation. That Jesus has a solution to the shame that we're going through, and this is a unique case, but the isolation is clear. Look at verses 25 and 26 with me. And a woman was there, this woman in the crowd, who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she got worse. Now Luke, as I told you, in Luke chapter 8, Luke records the same story, and it's fascinating because you all remember what Luke did for a living? He was a doctor. And Luke says they tried everything they knew to do. Can you imagine Doctors, when they read this text, uh, have speculated that this is probably a vaginal hemorrhage. So for 12 years, cramping and hurting and bleeding, and we think that physically that would be enough to make you say she suffered. But let me add to it something that we in America wouldn't understand, that in the days of Jesus was as clear a social suffering as anybody would go through. Because she bled, and they were fearful of the blood, made her unclean, ceremonially unclean. And so here's what she couldn't do. She couldn't go into the synagogue and worship her God with fellow believers. She would have had to stay outside. She would have been outcast. She probably, because if they were religious people, she couldn't even have received a hug, a kiss. Her husband couldn't hold her hand because by doing so, she would have contaminated him in the eyes of society, which meant he couldn't have worshipped. He probably couldn't work in the city uh, area. People wouldn't do business with him. You see, when she suffered, she just didn't suffer from cramps and bleeding and all that went with that. She suffered to a greater degree. She lost everything and did nothing wrong. What do we do when our desires for God to act are not the way God acts? What are we to do? You have this desperate woman, but notice she's in the crowd. She can't be in the crowd. If she's caught in the crowd, they're going to turn on her and her condition becomes worse. But like this father who's struggling for his 12-year-old daughter, she doesn't care. She's desperate. She'll do anything she has to do to get anywhere near the one who can help her. There's another sermon, huh? That if we get over our pride, we'll do whatever it takes to be anywhere near Jesus because we know he's the answer. Have you seen what Mark is pointing out to us? Jesus casts out an unclean demon from an unclean man who lives in a tomb, isolated, alone, taken away from everything that we would value. He comes across this father whose daughter's dying. Her body is is dying and he needs to get there desperately and this unclean woman is in the crowd of a crowd of unclean people. Verse 27. 
When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. No one told her that. Faith leads us to do some things that nobody else understands, but we know in our heart it's the right thing to do. Amen? Now, there are a lot of people who are judging you for even being here today, but you know in your soul that being together with God's people talking about Jesus is the best thing you can do to keep your mind on what's most important. And the world looks at it and says, nah, it's ridiculous. And you think, it may be to you, but it makes total sense to me. So this woman, who wasn't allowed in the crowd, got in the crowd and she said to herself, I just got to touch him. He doesn't even need to know I'm here. I don't have to talk to him. Immediately, verse 29. Immediately her bleeding stopped. Let's pause here for a moment. Michael taught us that when he was in the boat and he was awakened from his nap, and like me, he awaked grumpily, right? He wasn't in the best of moods. He said, he said to the sea, be still. And Mark says immediately, not down the line. Immediately the sea went from rocking and rolling to crystal clear and still. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She said, if I can just touch him. But she was forbidden to get close to anyone and here she was in the crowd. And scholars say that for, him, for her to touch the hem of his garment, the hem of his garment probably went to mid-calf. She was on her knees. Do you notice what Mark's showing us? Cyrus is where? He's on his knees. Where's the woman? On our knees. Maybe the end of our suffering is to get on our knees. And she gets on her knees and she touches the hem of his garment and she knows instantly, oh my goodness, it stopped. But here's the best part. Verse 30. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out of him and he went, oh my goodness, it stopped. He felt something. For those of you who have Jesus as a robot, who went from town to town just going boom, 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 boom. Anyone else? No, we're good. I'm going to go. That's not who he was. It says, immediately he felt power had come out from him. He turned around in the crowd and he said, who touched my clothes? Now the chances of him feeling someone reaching out in a crowd pressing on him, someone reaching out and touching his clothes would have happened every moment. And I love verse 31. You see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, come on, we know it's Peter. You see the people crowding around you and yet you ask who touched me? The the disciples were acting like secret service agents. They were trying to keep the crowd from crushing Jesus. It wasn't just they were worried about Jesus' time. The crowd could become so big. One time a crowd tried to push him off a cliff. The disciples are aware of this. So they're trying to protect him and the crowd's jostling everybody. You think the Beatles had it bad. The Beatles had nothing like Jesus had. And one of the disciples in that moment of like, are you kidding me? Who touched you? But Jesus kept looking around to, its, to see who had done it. I know that there will be a little bit of disagreement in this, and some of these things really don't matter in the long poll, but I'm fascinated by it. I don't think Jesus knew who touched him. Now, some scholars say he did, but they're wrong. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> Why would he keep looking around if he didn't know who did it, or if he knew who did it? And now listen, if you're thinking, oh, there's nothing at risk here, church, He's still God, and he was totally submissive to who God was and God's leading. I think there were some moments that when Jesus emptied himself to come to earth, he emptied his need to know everything, and he invested in his trust in his Father. I just jacked with some of you. Good, you'll be thinking about Jesus all week, and that's a good week. (laughs) He kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with... Fear. Would you say that Jairus, the father of the 12-year-old, scared? 
Notice there's a theme here. People, when they understand the fear of the Lord, fall on their knees and stop fearing everything else. Trembling with fear, she told him the whole truth. Can you imagine how quick that came out? I've been hurting for 12 years and no doctor can help me and I thought if I could just touch you but I didn't want to bother you. I didn't think you would know. I thought I could just walk away. And she was just smiling. Why? Because there was faith. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. This is the only time in all of scripture that Jesus called anybody daughter. And you might go, well, that's cute. No, no, no. This isn't a sweet hallmark moment, church. For 12 years, no one's held her hand. For 12 years, no one's hugged her. For 12 years, no one's been there with her and been comforting and compassionate. Everybody was protecting their own interests by staying away from her, and Jesus said, my daughter. Think that mattered to her? Remember, she was scared on her knees in front of this man she touched without permission, and by touching him, she made him what? Unclean? And he looked at her and he goes, my daughter, stand. And then if you translate it literally, I'm told it says this, go into peace. He doesn't say just go in peace. He's not like, hey, we're cool. I like what you did, pretty gutsy. He looked at her and he said, go into your peace. Your suffering is over. So Jesus comes to acknowledge our fear and to remove it. He comes to see our shame and isolation and remove it. Thirdly, our faith in Jesus is an answer for those threatened by death. So if maybe you don't think you have fear, or maybe you don't think you have shame and isolation, I promise you, you got this one. Because I've never met a single person who's like, yeah, I want to die. Most people are like, yeah, I want to die when I choose to die, after I've spent all my money and done everything I want to do, then I might be willing to go somewhere else. But what about those who, even in this room today, are dealing with a death that's closer than they ever imagined it could be, and it hurts? Here's what I'm going to tell you as your friend. It does threaten us, and it should, because death is a punishment. But what do we do when our desires for God to act aren't the way God desires to act? Verse 35. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Can you imagine the pain of that dad? His 12-year-old, sixth-grade daughter's gone. He'd done everything he could, and it wasn't enough. He didn't get there fast enough. Jesus got delayed with this woman. This woman had lived her entire life. She could be healed later. She wasn't risking dying. She was just in pain. If Jesus had just focused, and he'd just come with this dad, they could have fixed everything. If he just would have made my desires his. Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be, church, just believe. We're going to talk about what that means because it's huge. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly, and he went in and he said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. Let's start from the verse 40 and work backwards. Why did they laugh at Jesus? One minute they're mourning and and wailing and crying out that it's so unfair, it's so unjust. This 12-year-old girl had her entire life. She was just becoming a woman. 
and now her entire life is taken from her and all the future they had invested in her and all the dreams they had invested in her, it's gone and they laugh when Jesus says she's sleeping. Here's why. Because we laugh at the things of God when we have decided it's over. And they had said, she's dead, it's too late. Because they didn't know who he was. Let me quote my friend Michael. When you realize how scared you ought to be of Jesus, you won't be scared of anything else. And they were more scared of death than the power of Christ. So they laughed. Jesus said, she's just asleep. We think, no, she's dead. She has no pulse. She's literally dead. She's not just like in a coma. She's not sedated. She's dead, but he says, you don't understand. Death is but sleep where faith is present. So the Bible seems to believe that when you and I die as believers, really believing in the power of Jesus Christ, it's like fading into a deep sleep and waking up in a much better place. It's like waking up where there's no more Mondays, where baseball's always being played, it's always 70 degrees and the hot dogs are free. Ah, there we are, church. You're with me now, right? And you say, I have to walk through this dark door and it scares me what's on the other side. Jesus said, no, no, when you fall asleep in me, you only sleep. Your soul lives forever. He looks at the Father, he says, don't be afraid because death gives us reason to fear. But he said, just believe. Believe that God knows what he's doing. Believe that when your desires aren't met by God's desires, that your desires can wait. That even though it's hard, that God's desires are better. Death is not what it threatens to be when belief and faith are present. Look at verse 40. And he put them all out. He took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and he went into where the child was. And he took her by the hand. Uh Uh-oh. Clean people don't touch dead people. But Jesus does. And he said to her, Talitha kum. Aramaic. I've always wondered because I think things like this and I shouldn't why did he write Talitha Kum when it really means little girl I say to you get up why didn't he just why didn't Mark just say Jesus said little girl get up because Mark gave us the Aramaic expression and it's been translated in most English translations as little girl and then I read something that made my tail wag and this is what it is what he said in Aramaic was little lamb get up sweetheart Doll, baby, get up. That sounds like my Jesus, doesn't it? He's not like, all right, get up. You're just asleep. (laughs) No, he said, hey, the great shepherd said, little lamb, get up. And she did. And he touched her. And immediately the girl stood up and walked around. At this, they were completely astonished. Mark, I think we probably would have figured that out on our own, wouldn't we have? (laughs) they're always like awesome but you have this moment and what are we to learn from this why did Jesus do what he did be careful he didn't stop every death from happening did he so don't think that what he did was raise this little girl from the dead so that she could get back to living because she would still suffer pain she still would suffer hardship she still would live in a broken world and she would eventually die again 
It's like when Jesus walked in the room, why did he touch her? Why did he do this in front of the parents? He gave back this girl to her parents, but I don't think you and I should say that if we believe, and this is the question of the morning, I don't think we should conclude that if our desires, if by faith we desire what we want, then God has to do what we desire. No, our faith makes us desire what God wants, not what we want. So what do we do when our desires don't match God's desires? We change our desires. And we start trusting in the one. Why did he raise this girl from the dead and why did he heal this woman? Why did he do all of this? He wanted us to learn something from this. He healed this woman and he raised this child in order that we might have a new view of sickness and death. That even when we suffer, our suffering is not forever even if it feels like it's been forever. Twelve years of the suffering this woman went through physically, socially, and emotionally. And when Jesus healed her, There was no question about why did it take you so long? She went into peace. And she saw that God is able. This little girl was raised as an example. And I love that he says to her, little lamb, arise. And she gets up. I always love the story of Lazarus. He's outside the tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And you know what preachers love to tell you about that, right? He had to say, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he would have said, come forth, every grave would have emptied. He's got that much power. Lazarus walks out. Jesus touched her. You see, Jesus is able to meet the suffering of your heart even when all the resources you thought you needed weren't there and didn't work. See, the little girl ran out of time. Time doesn't limit God. She's already dead. It's too late. It's not too late with God. See, there's a powerful lesson for us to get here. The woman touched him and Jesus should have been unclean, but was he? No. He touched a little dead girl. He should have been unclean, but was he? Nope. Because Jesus is all powerful. Jesus is all holy. Demons couldn't alter him. Sickness couldn't alter him. Death couldn't alter him. So what are we scared of? If death backs down and demons back down and nature backs down and disease backs down, what are we facing that Jesus isn't greater than? When we understand who we are to fear, we will fear nothing else. Where Whoever you are and whatever you've done, however dirty, disgusting, and defiled you think you are, however past the point, how many tombs you've lived in and you think you're dead and as good as dead and even physically struggling right now with your health, please understand this. Jesus will make you clean because he promised to if you will place your faith just in him. And some of us will be healed on this side of death and still die. And others of us will not be healed and die. Death has no power over our faith. We will fall asleep and awaken in a better day. When suffering, crisis, trauma, and tragedy occur, it's possible to respond in fear. It's proven better to respond in faith. And there's a picture. Most of you know I like food and I like it a lot. Have you noticed back here in the text something interesting happens? Verse 43. He gave strict orders not to tell anyone about this and he told him to give her something to eat. That sounds like my Jesus. She gets up and walks around. He says, give her something to eat. So let me ask a question, parents. When your child's been sick, how do you know they're getting better? They get hungry. How do you know your kids are really sick? When they won't eat. Especially when you make them their favorites. And they're like, no. You're like, "Uh uh-oh. This isn't right. She died. 
He called her back to life. He said, give her something to eat. It's a foreshadowing of Revelation chapter 19 when Jesus comes back and sets all creation back in order and the new heaven and the new earth is established. And what's the first thing we're gonna do, church? Eat. The great banquet. He's gonna gather us around the banquet and he's gonna feed us the best of the best of the best and we're gonna celebrate because we were sick and we were dying and we were broken and we were suffering and he called us back to life and the first thing we're gonna have is a hunger again for all the good things Jesus offers. Let me, let me close this way because all of those stories are cool unless you're suffering right now. And you're asking yourself the question, what if my desires don't match up with his? Do I have to live my life this way forever? Some of you identify with the older woman. You say, I've had a lot of pain for a lot of years. I've asked God for years and years. No one can help me. No one can end my suffering. And I'm discouraged and I'm broken. Fall on your knees to him. And one day, as he's promised, maybe not this day, but one day, as he's promised, he is going to free you of your suffering. Touch him, and your blood stops flowing. Touch him, and his blood starts flowing for you. Do you see what he did there? He didn't become unclean. He just traded her blood flow for his. And on the cross, what he did was cleanse her from her being unclean, and he totally healed her. Some of you identify with the parents. It's not you that's suffering. It's someone you love desperately. We have all, unfortunately, most everyone in this room has walked away from a funeral service of someone we valued so much, loved so much, and needed so much, and we had to try to figure out how to live our lives in their absence. Jesus, Jesus didn't answer your prayer to heal them. But do you believe he still healed them? He brought him hope and life and joy. Yes, we're left in the suffering void, but that suffering void doesn't last forever. For those of us who know someone who's suffering right now, who can't feel the love of God and won't draw near to God, do you know you can be Jairus? You can fall on your knees in front of God today on their behalf and plead with God to see and to speak and to take his presence to them. God wants nothing more. Jesus didn't come to earth to be located in this one geographical spot. He came to earth so that his spirit could move and he could bring healing and end suffering throughout the world. He does it through people like you and I who fall on our face in prayer asking Jesus to come with us to see someone who's hurting. And did you notice that just as he cast out the demon on the other side of the lake and he cast the evil demon out, he called the spirit of this young girl back. Wherever her spirit went when she died, and the Bible's vague on that, but her spirit wasn't in her because she was dead. Wherever her spirit was, the creator of her spirit, Jesus himself, called the spirit back into that girl and she stood up to life. So what can death do to you if the one thing death steals from you, Jesus has the authority to give you back? What? You see, church, I want us to be a little cocky today. Can we do this? If you're walking around here scared you're gonna bump into something bad and it's gonna take Jesus away from you, you've not met the man. He moved heaven and earth to come here to pursue you, to love you, to serve you. There's no suffering you're going through that he has forgotten about or doesn't care about. None of it. He is involved in your suffering. And if you want to know, he wants to stop your bleeding through his. He wants to take the spirit that's been stolen from you and restore it by the authority of his voice. 
The woman was healed and the child was healed because somebody went by faith to Jesus and offered themselves on their knees, reaching out, desperate, no longer proud, scared of his power, not scared of the threat. That sounds like the Jesus we ought to worship this morning, huh? Sounds like the Jesus every one of us ought to follow. And you sit here wondering, can he be trusted? He's good. He'll get up immediately and go with you. And your suffering may last longer than you ever wanted to, but it won't last forever. By his power, he'll calm the sea. He'll cast out the demons. He'll heal the body. And he'll restore life. That's our Jesus. That's the one we worship. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.